Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to another episode of IndyCar Weekly. Uh, I am Nathan Brown, motorsports insider with the Indianapolis Star, joined as always by the driver of the number 45 High V Honda with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing, Jack Harvey. We've got a great episode for you guys here this week. Uh, no, we haven't been with you for a little while. Sometimes schedules just get uh, a little tough to sync up. Um, being a racing driver certainly takes a lot of time. Being a, a member of the media covering it takes a lot of time. And and frankly, um, with my new uh, addition to the world four months ago, um, my, my wife and I's new baby boy, life has been... Um, new and and wild and busy and uh, honestly just kind of been taking everything day by day but we're back this week here to preview uh the indycar race at barber on sunday we've got a lot to talk about in the first three races of the indycar season um so a lot to dive into and and jack and i are um, I think going to try and make a point to to be able to ramp this back up and, and have a lot of great episodes, great content, some, some good guests here for all the listeners out there. So we appreciate you guys sticking with us and hope that you continue to um, tune in and follow along as we chart through this 2022 IndyCar season. Jack, I know it's been... Um, been a little while since we taped and a lot has happened but um it's uh it's feeling um quite a lot closer to i know closer to may um more than anything i feel like these last couple weeks um it feels like the 500 is right around the corner and yet we've still got two races before we get there how are you doing doing well mate uh definitely seems a little odd to me that there's a race in may that isn't at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I don't know if anyone else is feeling that. And I absolutely love Barber. It just seems a little, like a little unusual, you know, that we're actually racing there in May. Uh, but honestly, we think we're looking forward to this weekend quite a lot. Uh, fair to say the season hasn't gotten off to the start that we were hoping it might have. Uh, that being said, as, as always, good optimism, good positivity around the team that we can have a great weekend this weekend coming in Barber, uh, but obviously it has been a second since we last recorded. And, you know, like you said, schedules this time of year can just be, uh, you know, a little unpredictable. Uh, they change kind of a lot. And, you know, for transparency as well, you know, when the season hasn't gotten off the way you want, you spend more time with the team trying to figure it out. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit tough, but I think we're back on the straight and narrow again. And uh, I think we've got some, I chatted to a couple of people already this week trying to maybe fill in when we can't be here or just have additional guests. So definitely excited for 
the way the next few months might go. Um, yeah, you mentioned the the idea of having Barber in in May. I, I can't remember. I know it was at least one, if not two, of the um, the races last year at Texas Motor Speedway. I think we're also in May. It is very weird. I know. I guess you don't want like you know you don't want too long of a gap before you build into everything that surrounds the month of May at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, and it's just kind of been weird how those weekends have fallen um, these last couple of years with May 1st and May 2nd being, you know, Saturdays and Sundays and, and what have you. But um, but I agree. Yeah, when you when you are starting off your uh, month of May in, in Alabama does feel a bit off. And for me, I mean, it's pretty similar to you for you. This kicks off. Um, I think a, a series of six straight weekends. Well, I'll be at, at racetracks starting with um, this next one. Uh, I'll be at uh, the Formula One race in Miami the weekend following, and oh. then we've got yeah, and then we've got three Little weekends. <laughs> yeah, um, doing some some. So a little bit of work um, off the beaten path of my normal job, but. Um, and then, you know, we've got three straight weekends at IMS. We've got uh, Detroit following and Road America right afterwards. So it's going to be a really busy, um, really busy time in the sport. And we get to take a, a nice little breather before Mid-Ohio. And then um, the series just like takes off at a breakneck speed before uh, we get into that closing stretch. But um, we'll get too far ahead of ourselves. You mentioned... Um, you know, there's been a lot to digest, both maybe on a, a personal level and a team level um, over these first three races in your new home at Red Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing. I know from a results standpoint, it hasn't necessarily brought everything you w- might have have wanted, but you're in a um, you know, maybe a, a big picture, long runway mindset. Uh, take take us you know, through and what you can, you know, have there been any overarching themes that you've seen or you've had in your first three races in this new home that either were similar to or different than what you might've expected? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think the thing that I've enjoyed the most is just being part of the team. You know, I really enjoy working with Graham and Christian uh, and there's so many good engineers in the team, I think the season was, hasn't gone the way that even they were hoping it would have. Uh, you know, certainly, I think in the driver department, there was a lot of optimism, you know, in bringing me and Christian into the into the team and, you know, how we might help that. And what's been tough this year, and it's not an excuse, uh, you know, certainly not trying to use it as one, but, you know, we did one day of testing before we went to St. Pete, which isn't, isn't a lot and then you know go to St. Pete and I thought we had some you know actually really good pace there we just you know not a great weekend with our crashing practice and then you know getting blocked in qualifying but recovered to a decent result uh, obviously Texas was what Texas was uh, you know and, on, and then heading to Long Beach it just wasn't a very good performance I mean I think the car in general has uh, quite a lot of understeer you know the, we just can't seem to get the front to comply a little bit better uh, that's certainly what we need to work on and that's what we're trying to figure out now as well and uh, I think the team is very used to working in a certain way 
a little bit different than what I'm used to, you know, in terms of like setup change and stuff. So then I think it's just honestly trying to fit in together well, you know, so I need to keep doing a good job in communicating specifically what I need from the car, you know, and really try and help lead, uh, you know, what changes I think are going to be required. And then obviously having trust and faith in the team that they're going to be able to give them to me because, you know, we, we certainly made the transition to RLL to try and compete for wins a little bit more consistently, uh, you know, and that's still the goal. I think we may have to look at, you know, how we're going to get there and what the time frame is, you know, for that. Um, I'm really enjoying my time, you know, and the thing that has been nice, I was talking to Bobby Rahal last week, Mike Lanigan, and they also see that we're not where they thought we would be either, uh, you know, and took some, you know, trying to basically just make sure that we all stay confident and positive because no one wants to be where we are. Uh, so, I mean, work's been done across the board, but really, really appreciate from the team stance is their willingness to really work through it. There's no finger pointing. Ultimately, we are a team and we're going to work through it as one. Um, but certainly feel the support of the whole team like right behind us. We just got to find, you know, some of those setup changes that work well for me. And uh, I think it was nice to finally get some few test days like we did at Indy last week. And I thought the test went okay. Uh, nothing to, you know, jump up and down about in a, you know, oh, we were, you know, we were flying, but also nothing to be super duper concerned about as if we were slow, you know, so kind of in the middle of the pack, I thought, but again, it's not where we want to be. So we're just going to keep working. And, you know, the more time that we can spend working together, just trying to move forward, you know, harmoniously and, do it with conviction and confidence, I think we're going to be fine, uh, you know, and we'll keep working until we are because the goals coming here were to compete for wins, uh, you know, and certainly we, we weren't there in the first three weekends, but nothing to stop us doing it. Come barber, if we make good setup changes and we unload with a good car and obviously that I drive well as well. So lots of... Uh, Lots of thoughts, lots of things, you know, but ultimately, as I try and I don't think anyone should, we're only three races in, you know, it's a big off-season change, uh, you know, tyres are a bit different this year and things like that, so if we have a good next three races, then it's it's balanced out, so um, I think that the atmosphere within the team is a very good one, we just need to keep keep working hard and, you know, now's the time to double down on everything and dig deep and rise to the occasion and rise to the challenge. You, you mentioned um, learning how you, you know, can c- communicate what you want on the car with this new team that you have around you and just the, the new larger infrastructure that RLL has in place. And I, I started to wonder, um, you know, I know that you ran six races last year with Elio um, at times when Meyer Shank Racing was a two-car team, but largely, you know, for the, the bulk of that season and then obviously for your IndyCar tenure before that with MSR, you know, you were a, a, a one-car team where um, the whole program was just kind of centered around you as a, as a one car entity and, and you solely as a driver. And I'd be curious when you're stepping into a new team, like, have you noticed any changes just in, 
um, you know, how you have to communicate or how you have to think about things when you're working on a, a pretty robust three car full time operation at RLO? It's a, it's a tough one to answer uh, because it depends how you look at it. And I think everyone's approach to this could be different. But although last year, you know, the team ran as an independent team, all the debriefs, all the pre-event meetings were shared with Andretti. So mm. we had, I had teammates last year that I worked with. So working with new people, you know, isn't isn't a new thing. And I think that's where you know, perhaps there's a little bit of a misconception that, you know, the, the teams aren't, they're connected, they're, they're run independently to some degree, but they, they're connected, you know, so I think that partnership is a bit stronger. Uh, so having teammates this year was easy for me because I feel like I've had teammates the whole time I've been in IndyCar, even back when we were at SPM, uh, you know, we were, we had two teammates there you know, both years. And um, I feel like I've always operated well in a in a team environment. I think what's been nice, just for me anyway, is to be very much involved in the team, not through association or anything like that, but because they wanted us there and they brought us there. Uh, so I, I've really enjoyed feeling a little bit more of a mm, slightly bigger presence, if you want to call it that, in the actual engineering room, I've, I've really enjoyed that. Um, and it, at this point, really, it's just time together. And that's what we need is, is more time spent together, working together, uh, understanding each other's uh, language uh, and also our references, but also severity of our problems. And I think that's what time will continue to give us. And, you know, obviously, we hope that we would unload with a little bit of a faster baseline car, you know, a couple of events, that wasn't the case. You don't necessarily just say it's fine because obviously we're working on it to make sure that that doesn't happen. But how we move forward is obviously going to be really important and that's where we are putting our effort and our work now uh, because obviously the, the team has very much not just revolved around Graham, but obviously he's been the one developing the car and now I'm trying to learn you know, how he drives the car, but also what I need from it as an individual. And then just trying to balance how those things can all fit together. Because what's nice is that everybody, is everyone drives a similar car, is you're able to really move the program forward. However, if that car isn't working for me, we still want to get results. And <clears throat> if we can get good results, but it's just a different car, then so be it. You know, that's just kind of the nature of competing, right? You know, not, not the same thing doesn't work for everybody. Um, but I really like working with, with Graham and Christian and, you know, all the, everyone on the 15, the 30, the 45, it's an incredible group of people. And um, I think as a team, we're going to, we're going to figure it out. And I think because of that, feel even more united and together. So I'm just excited for when we do. I was, I was looking over, um, you know, kind of where, where things stand in terms of these, you know, top drivers that, you know, make up these standings and probably two of the less or the, you know, the more unchanged um, teams in, in terms of drivers and probably in some ways engineers um, from this offseason were, of course, Team Penske and Chip Ganassi Racing. You've got Ganassi, um, you know, adding 
Jimmy is a full-time driver, but he drove the majority of the races last year on road and street courses last year. I think they had maybe a, a very minor engineering, you know, an engineer shakeup um, or strategy shakeup uh, among the team, but pretty unchanged. And Team Penske goes from four full-time cars to three, and you've got some minor um, engineering changes in the background there. But I, with how close this series is um, in terms of driver talent, um, and how close these cars are, how long these cars have been around. I almost started to wonder, um, you know, as you mentioned, we're, we are only through three races. There's no reason to have any sort of overreaction on where, you know, where the direction of some guys that are maybe not quite the, quite where they want to be are like you, maybe, for example, in terms of, um, you know, the point standings. But I almost wonder if, um, maybe how some of these first couple races have shook out this year has something to do. Um, you know, when you look at your, your top four, that's, uh, you know, Joseph Scott, um, Alex Polo, Will Power. Um, I think Dixon might be fifth. He's got to be close if, if he's not fifth. Um, if that just has anything to do with, uh, when you, when you factor in the fact that we've only got, you know, one day of testing before we come into a season that perhaps it's a, just a little, it's just that much easier for someone, um, a, a program that hasn't had any changes in the off season to just get the ball rolling really quickly, uh, rather than someone, um, someone like you and, and a team like RLL that has just had a you know a handful of things that you guys are adapting to on the, the driver and, and engineering side that very well, you know, probably will start to, to get ironed out and, and see you guys more often at the front, like we expect to, but maybe that has something to do um, with how the start has shaken out. I don't know what your thoughts are. Oh, I mean, I think it's completely fair to say that, uh, continuity of people uh you know and teams and things like that is massive you know i mean that was very much a reason to stay where we were uh you know and quite a big factor in a decision you know in all fairness so i don't think it's a surprise to see the teams that have had you know the chance to build and to grow over an off season with immediate ways to work together and how to improve um can perform well you know i mean i think one of the best examples you know and i love the guy i think he's awesome is scotty mclaughlin uh you know with off season under his belt coming back same team granted new engineer but still in the same team um you know and he's he's kicking ass you know you can't you can't say he's not and also if you look at how all of our seasons have progressed up to that point before making the change every yeah, we looked like we were getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think that's because of people and building relationship with people and things like that. And, you know, I didn't come to RLL on a on a one-year deal. You know, this very much also has a, you know, bigger picture attitude in mind. Um, you know, and Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, that being said, it would be nice to, you know, find some speed pretty quickly here, obviously, because, you know, we all have, our desires to win uh and that's what we think we can achieve together but i mean to actually answer your question no i'm not surprised to see those people at the front uh, i also just not surprised to see the actual people you mentioned at the front because they're, they're all great drivers so um yeah i mean indycar right now is incredibly competitive 
Um, you know, and as I mentioned, it's time. It takes time. But I do believe that together with everybody at RLL, we will come out of this uh, strong uh, and achieving the results that we want to, which is, you know, really what the pull to go there was. So um, not a surprise, but I'm also optimistic that we're going to get there sooner rather than later. I know we've got some questions on this, so we can maybe just touch on it briefly here and then dive in um, later on in the episode. We get some some more pointed questions, but just from a larger scale, um, maybe big picture idea. And I know that you can only share so much. Um, don't want to give too many inside secrets away. But when I know um, even from talking to Graham at uh, the the test the Indy 500 test this past week, just kind of in the bullpen going over uh, the start of his his season as well. I know he's been kind of somewhat similarly frustrated knowing that all the pieces are there, but, um, you know, there's been some things missing. I know some of it has come from um, just ending up in tough spots from qualifying and then you can only, you know, you can really only do so much. I know you, I mean, you charged, I think you gained what, like maybe three places at St. Pete and four or five or six at Long Beach. So you, you yourself and I, and I think Graham probably similarly, um, was doing a lot of, a lot of charging and picking guys off during the race. But when you look at qualifying, I know that's something that, um, you came into this team, um as a, a known asset in that department uh, when you guys have analyzed things over these first three races has there been any um ha- just have you guys been able to at least identify maybe a, a through line and and some of your guys's shortcomings there that you guys hope to maybe have figured out once we head to barber this weekend i think so uh you know i think if you look at our our balance uh, you know, or imbalance that we have right now. It's just there's a lot of understeer in the car, and I think that's really holding us back to being able to piece together a good corner. As in, you know, we can break as late as some of the other guys, but then we can't roll through the corner as well, or we can roll through the corner as well, but then we have to, you know, break too early. So, you know, we we I think we're very aware of where our problem is uh, obviously how we excuse me how we fix those problems completely different story and that's what we're spending so much time trying to understand um but certainly i mean long beach in some in some areas we're a little confused as to why we were lacking pace in the way we were but in terms of the sheer balance of the car no i don't think it's a mystery right now or some something that we just really don't understand is more how we're going to fix it is more the conversation that we've been we've been having and um you know that's down to us as driver and team and engineers to try and figure out and you know although me graham and christian all do have slightly different driving styles i think our complaints of the car have all been very, very consistent, very similar. So although we may need subtly different things, the actual baseline of the car and what we what we feel as soon as we get out and get going has been super similar. And that is a great thing to have because now as a team, 
we should be able to split up testing work and then collectively move forward. So we go out and we try something and we really like it and it looks like and we're fast. Then it should be the sort of thing that hopefully Graham and Christian can add to their car or vice versa. And ultimately, that's what having, we hope, three good drivers gives you, right? Uh, you know, and we've been a part of big teams before where that works really well. Um, you know, because even Penske, although they've down, or like downscaled a bit, you know, from four to three, they still have three incredible drivers who are able to work through setup changes and things like that. And that is the primary reason for really expanding is to be able to cover more setup changes, uh, you know, setup philosophies and things like that. And then ultimately at some point in the weekend, come back together and try and, uh, you know, put the maximum together, which obviously we hope is for qualified in the race. I think one thing I could do to improve a bit more where we are is, you know, going into Long Beach as an example, I'm not sure I thought we quite had the pace to transfer and that just didn't sit well with me. So, you know, we tried something pretty big uh, going into qualifying, which I'm not normally, I don't normally like to do that. But, you know, if we can't, if we're not, if, if I don't feel confident that we can transfer, then really at that point, we really do have to try something. And I think looking back, that was the wrong thing. I think we would have gained more just from consolidating the car, you know, really try and maximize driving and just go from there. So, um, I mean, I think there's definitely been bits to learn and that we could do to improve for sure. And again, that's been a lot of the conversation is, you know, in some parts of the weekend, it's, you know, it's great to keep trying things, but, you know, if, if it's not going to contribute in a positive way, then, you know, better the devil you know sort of situation. So it's been it's been an interesting start to the year. It's definitely had a few head-scratching moments, but um, we're here now. We're going to give it our best shot, and we'll just keep cracking on. When you we look at this um, season, you know, from the all 26 full-time cars, um, I'm curious to get your your take on this, and I can give mine. I, I always, um, you know, feel like it feels like a good point to maybe kind of, now that we've got you know not just one or not just two but three races under our belts kind of take a take stock in maybe you know maybe any surprises or maybe somewhat disappointments to start the year off um just kind of in terms of of how this thing is shaken out i will say um given how they started last year i don't know that i would have expected uh team penske to win each of these first three races i think that's been a pretty incredible start to have all three of their Drivers in the top four of the standings um, is pretty strong. Maybe a, a maybe a a biggest surprise out of that. Um, I might even say the the one driver out of those um, three at Team Penske that hasn't won a race yet, Will Power. Um, I think you could argue maybe uh, in more impressed with how he has started this year as consistently as he has been um, than anyone he's the only i think the only driver in the entire indycar series that has had uh, a top four finish in each of these first three races his teammates have you know both won um or finished second four of their six finishes but have also had finishes outside the top 10 so um he's been incredibly consistent uh, it was an, also an, an interesting factoid that um despite not winning a race that alex polo actually has 
I think three more points at this point in the season than he did last year through three races when he won the first race. Um, just shows, uh, you know, how incredibly consistent um, he's been. I think the NBC broadcast um, mentioned last or I guess a couple weekends ago after Long Beach that he'd registered, I think, 10 podium finishes in his first 19 races at Chimp Ganassi Racing, which is a, a pretty credible feat, I, I would have to say. In terms of maybe surprises um, for some of the wrong reasons, I, I would say I thought that um, Andretti Autosport might, you know, at least from one of their three truly experienced drivers, um, might have been able to um, mount a little bit better charge to start the year. I know this, you know, as we mentioned, we're still young in this season, and Colton Hurdle looked like he was going to have a, a really strong finish at Long Beach until he lost it um, into the wall midway through that race after starting on pole, and they had a handful of issues at at both Long Beach and, and St. Pete, uh, just a, a four car team that I, I know we expect a lot out of, and I'm sure they'll find their groove, but, um, in some ways haven't had a, a great amount of luck to start the season and, and also have not, um, maybe executed maybe as, as cleanly as we might be used to. They have Colton Herta in 11th, um, Alexander Rossi in 18th and Romain Grosjean in sixth, um, in the, the top Five, as we know it right now, Joseph first, Scott second, Alex third, Will fourth, and Scott Dixon in fifth, despite uh, just one top five for Dixon. That would be someone I'd keep maybe keep an eye on as we head into Barber. He's, um, I think, finished in the top 10 in all of the races that we run at Barber, but uh, amazingly has never won this race. I think along with St. Pete, one of just the couple tracks that he's run on for the bulk of his IndyCar career and still has not been able to figure out uh, a way to, to win there. So um, any, any performances through these first three races that stand out to you either in, um, in positive or negative terms? Uh, oh, for sure. I think Scotty McLaughlin, you know, his season, I know he, you know, wasn't happy with what happened in Long Beach, but I mean, he's still having an incredible start to the season and, you know, if if anyone was a racing fan and you look at his CV, I mean, you know, he's an incredible driver. And I guess it's like that, always that one, it's like, it's it's really impressive. And, you know, you're kind of surprised, but you shouldn't be surprised that someone of his caliber is having a great season. Um, to be honest with you, in terms of speed, I think Team Penske, you know, Chip Ganassi Racing and Andretti Autosport have all been very fast. You know, no doubt, no doubt about it, and it's not it's not surprising. It's just more that the consistency they've had and been quick at all of the first uh, three has been obviously very impressive. Uh, I tell you, a guy I feel like it should have a a mention because he's had some great qualifying performances and whatnot is Felix Rosenquist. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I feel like there's so much talk in the off season, and you know, you don't know how much of it is is true or not. You just, you know, obviously, like a lot of people, I just I see what I read. Uh, you know, so I'm happy that he's getting some, you know, better performances going. Uh, I know, he, again, he wasn't happy with what happened in Long Beach with his tire deg, but, you know, pole at Texas and then, you know, followed that up with a good qualifying in Long Beach. So a guy that I'm just happy to see doing well, um, you know, not to, uh, you know, keep banging on about it. I am surprised, actually, our lack of speed at the, <laughs> across the first three races. 
uh, you know, but I think that's probably not a not a shocker. And um, you know, I think there's at this moment of the season, you've got three groups of people. Really, you've got people who are happy how it started. You've got people in the middle who are looking for build, and then you've got people toward the back who are hoping they're going to get their season back on track. Uh, you know, and <laughs> sadly we've probably fallen the latter of that category. But when I think about it, and heading sort of towards Barber, Joseph's had a super impressive start to the year because for whatever reason, I feel like his seasons get throughout the year he gets stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, mm-hmm. and and he's come out swinging big, and I would like to say congratulations to him. And his wife, Ashley, because they've just had a baby boy, uh, you know, and that's awesome. And happy to see, you know, the way that life is is treating him. But he's very good at barber. You know, I've seen Joseph do some really great things there, you know. And I guess some of these people, you know, last year, like Will Power, who wasn't having, you know, too much luck, is having a great start to the season. And, you know, when, when you give good drivers like that a great start to the year, it could be pretty hard to overcome that. So um, I think from our side, we you know we just want to get in the mix more, uh, you know, so that we can challenge these people. But you know, as you read out the top five, I don't think there was anything surprising really about it. I think that's what's so cool about IndyCar racing right now. The top ten, you know, can be super competitive, uh, you know, and hard to predict. So um, I think there's a lot of really good drivers in the series. Right now, a lot of really good teams. It's just going to come down to, you know, how we maximize the weekends. But I would, I would say that's my general assessment of the series in the first three races. I think you're spot on on Joseph. And I, I think I touched on it um, coming out of Long Beach when I was doing a, a story on him and his weekend and maybe just kind of what we might be able to expect looking ahead. Um, he's, you know, when you look at his seasons, um in the past, the the one time he did actually have two really early victories actually came in 2018 when he you know started with a win at Phoenix and a win at Barber, and then um, you know I wouldn't say fell off necessarily for the end of you know toward the end of the year, but didn't maybe keep up that same um, competitive pace. And it's a season where Scott Dixon came away with the championship, and Joseph actually ended up fifth um, with a pretty crowded group uh, up near the top, but. Um, everywhere else, you know, you look, you see, he's typically pretty good for one race ahead of the 500. And then, you know, he'll typically get a minimum one more likely two, sometimes maybe even three, um, in those years when he's having his dominant championship performances, like he did in, um, 2017 and, and 2019. So when you look at in fact, he's already got two up his belt right now. Barbara, as you mentioned, is an incredible track for him. He's won there three times, um, three actually in the span of uh, four years from 2015 to 2018, a couple years back. Um, and I think was to, if my recollection serves me right, was practicing and qualifying pretty well there a year ago before things went off the rails on lap one. But um You've got that. You've got the IMS road course that he's won on, um, I think, once back in 2020 and I think has started to con- to have better results at in years past. Um, and, and we all know that Team Penske is always really strong on, on the IMS road course. And then the 500 that he's been 
looking and and waiting for for his entire career i think he's had um whatever it is nine or ten starts at the 500 hasn't been able to win that yet i know that win would mean a lot to him so you start to wonder you know does he pick up another win in these next three races uh and if he does you know he's starting to be a a really incredibly tough guy to catch in the the championship standings unless uh, his teammate Scott McLaughlin is is finishing second right behind him to to keep this thing close. So I think that'll be a a storyline to continue to follow. You know very well. You know maybe Joseph doesn't win any of these next three races and someone else catches um, fire and all of a sudden we've got a a third driver at the top of the point standings and it's um, really truly wide open heading past the 500. We'll have to see. But um, it, I think you are right. A, a, a Joseph Newgarden that's hitting on all cylinders doesn't too often um, lose steam as we get into the latter portion of the schedule that has some tracks like, um, you know, like Iowa, for example, uh, Gateway that he's had a lot of success on and, and won a handful of races on in the um, in the last couple of years of his career at Team Penske. So we will we'll have to see. Um, let's maybe move on to the Indy 500 test. As you mentioned, we had two days on track at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the Oval last week. Um, we had uh, all 32 cars that are currently confirmed for the 500, and at least on Wednesday, Elio did not compete on Thursday due to his late crash uh, Wednesday afternoon that was caused um, by some interesting track conditions that I think officials at IMS are still working to um, hash out that involved the application of a, a sealant that they had put down on the track, uh, both on the track and on the, the pit lane and warm up and, and cool down lanes last fall. And for whatever reason, um, partially maybe because of lack of running in those warm up and cool down lanes over the last couple months while we'd had cars on track doing testing and two seater rides and other various things on the oval um you hadn't had really virtually any running in those warm up and cool down lanes and so we had three spins two of which um ended up in accidents for guys on wednesday and it, at one point put into question whether we would even test at all on Thursday, weather also became a factor and we ultimately were able to run for four hours on Thursday afternoon. Uh, but it was good to see cars back out on the oval. I know we can't always make a ton and probably shouldn't make a ton of testing times that come out of there, but obviously it's, it's always better anytime you're on track to be more uh, closer to the front than to the back. What did you guys take from and how would you characterize how your uh, two days of 500 testing went last week before we get into Indy 500 practice on May 17th? I thought our test went okay. Um, I think, as I mentioned right at the start, nothing to you know jump up and down about and be like absolutely buzzing over. Uh, but in the same breath, equally the other side, nothing that would make you feel you know, wildly concerned. I thought the test, we honestly were just trying to probably like everybody dot the I's and cross the T's. And, you know, for me anyway, it's the first time that I've driven, you know, the 45 Hy-V Honda on a, uh, at Indy. And it takes something I'm used to, you know, the balance of the car in general is 
taken me a second to get used to. Uh, the only good thing is, in this moment, obviously, we do lean on Graham quite a lot because, you know, he does have the experience of driving the car and he knows when, you know, the car's where it should be and where it shouldn't. And I don't think anyone was super happy with with their car. So, uh, I mean, I actually felt like we made some good progress uh, through the test. I can't even actually remember where we finished, you know, in the in the timing sheets, but I kind of felt like we had a mid-pack kind of car, to be honest. Uh, so, work to do, obviously. And probably quite a lot of it to do. Uh, didn't get into any qualifying runs or you know anything like that. So I think that will be also interesting when uh, you know when we come back in May. But um, yeah, I, I was overall uh, more or less happy with with how we left, but also acknowledging there is work to do. And again, you know, you look at the cars that were quick, and it's the same cars that we've we've been talking about all episode uh really mm-hmm. so no no nothing shocking there i don't think um i did i mean i actually jumped on the i'll ask the team to radio graham because actually well, after the very first run even after i've installed laps i said hey do you think the warm-up or the diesel x you know or acceleration lane um you know feels kind of slick to me on the inside of turn one two actually and in three and four and uh, he said, yeah, he thought so too. So it was actually something that I feel like we were quite aware of and that we just weren't pushing the exit as hard, you know, perhaps as what uh, some people were. But it's certainly uh, not something you want to see happen because I would say, well, the three incidents we had are from people who've won the Indy 500. So, uh, you know, they're not, they're, I mean, they, I don't know if you can have more experience at the speedway than Elio Castroneves. You know, in all fairness, and you know, the fact that that happened to someone like him just shows how swiftly it was, but also that there was certainly a need to try and fix part of the uh, part of the grip in the warm-up lane, and uh, you know, no doubt that'll be on everyone's mind as we come back, and you know, hopefully these things just start to get a bit more rubbered in. Uh, I know it's been repaved right so you know these things sometimes can take a second but uh ultimately i think everyone was just happy to finally be back in you know not super speedway mode but getting ready for the indy 500 you know it's the Mm -hmm. biggest race of the year it's the one that we all dream about winning uh you know and when i listened to when you were talking about joseph and you know, his desire to win Indy 500, I'm like, yeah, you know, no doubt he does, but also we all do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's not exclusive to one driver wanting to win it more or win it less. It is literally what drives our whole season and working hard for race day on the Indy 500. So, uh, you know, obviously I'm optimistic and hopeful that we'll make the appropriate changes so that we can put ourselves in a good position uh, to do it, but um, yeah, mate, I thought it was just, if nothing else, it was just fun to be back on the speedway. I, I wonder, and I even I posed this question to some folks when we were there because it was it was around the same time frame um, as last year, and I, I was not covering the series in um, 2019, but I think I remember that that open test again fell in April, and I just I wonder 
Um, and maybe it doesn't really make a difference to you guys. Maybe it's actually helpful to have it earlier in the year so that the folks that are, are banging on those um, 500 super speedway cars have some more time to make the changes that they want to make. But I wonder when we we think about and talk about the fact that the conditions that we were dealing with in April where like Wednesday morning there was um, a lot of questions on whether it was even going to be warm enough to start um, start uh, on track running on time just because of the temperatures um, and wondering, you know, how really applicable the, the temperatures that we saw, um, you know, Wednesday and Thursday afternoon were going to be once it comes down to May 29th when we're all concerned about um, race day. I wonder if there would ever be any way for uh, IMS in the series to move that test, say, to Monday, Tuesday or Tuesday, Wednesday of the week of the GMR Grand Prix, where, you know, maybe everyone's just in that isn't already located in Indianapolis is there for a couple days longer. Um, but it's a it's at a time in the schedule where you guys are expecting to um, you know be in and around Indianapolis pretty soon anyways. And it's a time where it's a little bit later into the year. You're maybe a little less likely to have these annoying spring showers that we seem like we often have in April. Uh, maybe temperatures in the afternoon are a little bit warmer, or at least are more likely to be so. And and ultimately, maybe conditions that you're testing in and you know putting in this you know close to double digit hours of of time on track to prepare for maybe that work is. Um, maybe a little bit more directly applicable to the conditions that you'll see in, in qualifying and ultimately on race day. Any, any thoughts that you, whether, you know, whether that's come to mind to you ever, or whether you think that might be uh, um, helpful or, or maybe even and less so if it were to be brought to teams. Uh, definitely was on my mind when it was raining. <laughs> we wanted to go out on track. Uh, man, I don't know. I don't know what the right solution is there because trying to predict the weather in indiana i feel like it's just impossible uh that's very true you know we go one one week it's you know snows on the ground and later the same week it's like 80 degrees you know with every bit in the middle uh you know covered as well so i don't know i, I felt like oh yeah i don't know i don't know what the uh the right answer to it is because i've actually done the indy 500 when it feels like it's been like a record temperature of like 90 plus. And then I think last year's 500 actually was low 60s, high 50s, maybe. Yeah. Um, it so it's just a, uh, it's hard, you know, trying to predict the weather. And I think in my experience, even like the two weeks across, you know, when you're just in 500 mode in terms of practice, qualifying weekend, then the race, the weather can shift, you know, quite a lot there as well so i think if you're able to move the test it, there's a lot of advantages to it in the sense of conditions might be similar uh disadvantage obviously is that's already quite a a long month <clears throat> so to make it longer for some people might even be more difficult so um lots of thoughts but i don't know i don't know what i would change in practicality actually in the end it's it's just a tough one and you know, for example, we've we've had you know I think it was raining this morning or it was drizzly. If if uh, if it wasn't, 
you know, and the sun's out now, <clears throat> but it's kind of on the cooler side again. So I don't know. It's just that that time of year really is is, is very tough, especially tough in in Indiana because you know the winter seems to be extending more into the year and then obviously getting those spring showers like you mentioned and uh you know really doesn't make a big difference until you want to be driving and then suddenly it's like oh god the weather but what was really weird about the test last week especially thursday you're looking on the radar and i was even confused why it was even raining you know it just Mm -hmm. seemed like we were in a, a cloud you know it was just like this little bit of mist and with the temperature not being there and it you know things like that it just took a long time for the track to dry as well so it's a tough one it's a it's a tough one yeah i uh yeah i think maybe one if not two hours um there like mid to late thursday morning we weren't able to to get the dryers on the track because as you mentioned yeah it it wasn't raining but it also you know there was some you know weird misting or uh, even just some sort of like fog that just kind of felt like it just like sat on IMS for an hour to 90 minutes or so. And I'm sure that frustrated um, the uh, the workers that were trying to get that track ready because uh, in one vein, too, they weren't able to um, get get the final reading on the the warm the work that they had done overnight on the warm up and cool down lanes in terms of trying to to put some rubber down and um, give those sections a little bit more traction until they were all dry. So they weren't able to know until they got that track completely dry to, to be certain that we were going to be able to go testing, Um, you know, because if those readings hadn't come back, uh, you know, if they'd come back as if there been virtually no work done, then I'm not sure if we would have been able to hold um, testing, just knowing that there was that danger. Yes, it only happened to you know three of the hundreds of times that drivers came off of pit lane but when you see how close um you know when you, if you watch some of those onboards between how close um marcus erickson was to uh some pretty serious incidents that he escaped multiple times i think once with alex and once with elio and how close um Colton and Will's cars were to touching ultimately um, that forced Colton to make a, a jerk on the wheel and lose control and, and end up in the wall. Those things could have been a, a lot worse and were not things that you were wanting to even put up to chance. Um, but ultimately glad we got some testing in. And um, I think wherever that test ultimately falls on the calendar, um, you really start to to get thinking about and talking about and writing about the 500, which is ultimately a great thing. Um, one thing that came through my inbox today regarding the 500, and it's um, it it will be public knowledge uh, once this podcast goes up. So I, I guess we can talk about it here. Um, a little bit of change to the qualifying format for uh, this year's 500. Um, a lot of this is, uh, I think, done under the assumption that we will only have 33 cars in the race, which I do think is a or 33 cars in the field, um, 33 cars vying for 33 spots, which at this point, from what I know, is, I think, a, a pretty fair assumption. So we, of course, then won't have uh, any sort of a last chance qualifier session um, unless some of that changes. So as, as under the assumption that we're at 33 cars um IMS and IndyCar have added a second qualifying step in order to set up the first four rows in the field. So we would go through on Saturday with your typical 
qualifying day for uh, from noon to 5.50, where every car gets at least one attempt. You go through the field with the randomized order that was selected um, in a drawing Friday night, and then cars can go into either the, the priority lane or the, the typical lane, um, depending on if you want to give up your time or just simply try to go faster on Saturday. Um, if we're at 33 cars, uh, spots 13 through 33 are locked in. After Saturday, we go into a um, top 12 qualifying format on Sunday afternoon, starting at four o'clock, where um, each of those fastest 12 cars in order of 12 fastest to fastest uh, on Saturday get one run to try and make the fastest six that then will uh, additionally make one more attempt in what's being called the Firestone Fast Six starting at 5.10 on Sunday afternoon. And ultimately that Fast Six session will decide who is the pole sitter for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500 and who is starting uh, in the first two rows of the race on May 29th. So a little bit of change. We also have the um, the return of... Monday practice, we're no longer having, at least for the time being this year, any sort of post-qualifying practice on the day of qualifying. So um, we'll, we'll have a two-hour session from noon to two on Monday afternoon for the fill, full field of 33. And then the final time that cars will be on track ahead of the 500 will be uh, carb day on may 27th so some changes to that ultimately i know you want to be in that fast 12 and that fast six come uh late may any thoughts on um you know adding an additional step to try and um put that uh you know slot in those those fastest 12 cars into this year's race i like it you know i think if, if there's no if there's no bump day um you know obviously it shifts a little bit of the focus off of that um you know i think that's a way to keep it you know a bit more exciting maybe uh, also gives some of the cars the opportunity to try and fight for it uh you know there's definitely been times where you could be you know p10 p11 and you know if you don't have to pull your time you might not go out again because at that point if, if you don't think you can make the step it's not worth the risk but you know to open up up into the top 12 i think it's cool uh you know and i love to see the speedway and the series you know experiment with new procedures new qualifying formats just to see what what works you know what works what doesn't work and you know at the end of the day worst case scenario you can always just go back to what has worked traditionally so i mean i like the idea of that obviously i'm hopeful that we're going to be one of the cars in the top 12 and the top six so we get to do you know several qualifying runs but um i, I like it my, my initial feeling on it is a positive one yeah i i think it'll be i mean it'll be even better um under the you know hope that next year and years beyond we can have the last chance qualifier i think if you have you know three sessions that um have a lot writing on them i think that's a i think it's a great thing um for the series and, and also for the fan base obviously it's a bummer that assuming that we don't have 33 cars that outside of um you know a test or, or a practice or a warm-up we don't have any action that sunday until four o'clock um it makes for a pretty short day and as i know from 
the viewpoint of some fans is a little tough to, especially if they're traveling from a long ways away, to justify coming up here on a Sunday when they're only going to have two hours of on-track action when they're used to, you know, multiple warm-ups and the last chance qualifier and the fast nine and a practice all jammed into a single day. So I can understand some frustration around that. But I think ultimately I, I like this format. I like that there's, um, you know, you're not just assuming that the fastest car um, from Saturday is then going to be the fastest car on Sunday because they only have to replicate it one more time. You got to replicate it two more times and um, gives a chance for some more var- variability and some more excitement. And uh, um, when you're when you're talking about qualifying for the 500, that potentially has some of the most excitement that we see in the race calendar all year. I think that's definitely never a bad thing. So, um, well, let's get to some. Twitter questions here from fans. Some of these um, we have already kind of addressed a little bit, so I'll, I will um, skip over them and apologize if. Um, but know that if you know if you don't hear yours, then it probably means that we it's a topic that we already discussed early on in podcast. So um, this first one comes from OWR online um, asking Jack, uh, do you think you can beat Graham to a victory this year? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think Graham's had a, a better start to the season than we have. Uh, you know, maybe a little less change for him. Uh, so he kind of knows what he's, what he's driving, you know, in a team and all them things. But, you know, when I, when I came to RLL, one of the first things that Bobby, you know, took off the table that Graham would get any preferential treatment just because he's his son or anything like that. And I didn't even have to ask, you know, they, they offered that and, you know, talking to Graham, you know, he doesn't want a, you know, a teammate who's just going to, you know, fall in line or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, the the desire between all of us to be the best team car, you know, is very strong. And obviously, I am believing myself that we can, we can be that. So, uh, you know, I, I would be really happy that, you know, we got the first win for the team this season. And then, you know, he got the second one. But... Uh, yeah, I certainly have confidence that, you know, we can come and try and be the best team car and, you know, compete for wins against everybody. And, you know, I've never got too fixated on, you know, we want to beat just one guy. Ultimately, we go into the track to try and win the race. So, uh, you know, never never just fixated on one person, but, you know, certainly believe that we uh, that we can. Um, that probably kind of answers this question here from Alan, but I will ask it anyways, um, just for the sake of, of you answering it and, and further, further emphasizing your answer. He asks, Jack, can the car be improved this season from what we've seen, um, enough to be able to compete for wins, or do you think this is going to be a longer term project? I mean, both, you know, I certainly didn't come to RLL, you know, with a, with a short vision in mind. Uh, you know, I it came here, like I mentioned earlier, you know, very much as a long-term project, uh, you know, in a place I want to be for, for many, many years. Uh, that being said, you know, the season is not a write-off. Uh, you know, it might not have gotten off to the best first three races, but I definitely believe that, you know, we, we have time to turn it around and, you know, and compete for wins. Uh, you know, and I think that's what's so cool about the NTT IndyCar series are, you know, weekends, that people win, they don't always have the fastest car and sometimes they do, but ultimately we have to be ready to make the most of any opportunity that, that comes our way, uh, you know, whether it's on speed or whether it's just, you know, a little bit of good luck. So um, <clears throat> absolutely believe that there's time to, to turn it around. We know what 
you know, some of our problems are. So we just got to put solutions in to fix them, obviously. But uh, definitely staying, you know, optimistic. And, uh, you know, I believe that we can get it done. Um, let's give over these questions from from Derek about most surprising driver in terms of uh, results. I feel like we touched on that earlier in the podcast. Um, and go to, uh, let's see, Jimmy B, who asks, who wins in Mario Kart, Jack or Graham Rahal? Me. <laughs> are you a big, uh, are you, do you play a whole lot of video games? Are you a big video game guy? I don't, but I'm not even sure if Graham knows. <laughs> about video games in general so uh i think that might be a little bit of an unfair one but uh, like i said to him you know they expect him and his wife courtney expecting their you know second child so probably not too far away here soon he's gonna have to figure out how to get on you know some of these video games unless he wants his kids to beat him on them as well but uh i mean i've, I've dabbled on mario kart a time or two you know so i feel like i've got a pretty good uh good handle on that but uh Definitely confident I'd beat Graham at any video game, like for sure. Yeah, that's pretty fair. I uh, I have not played that game in quite a long time, but that's a and I don't profess to be a a big video game guy per se. I don't own, own uh, you know a console or anything, but that's always a fun one to play it. You know, parties or things like that. Um, and it was a favorite of mine growing up, certainly. Uh, and our finally final question of the week goes to. Uh, ben Lamb, who asks, um, I believe, for both of us, but you can go ahead and go first. Um, what are your favorite places to eat and hang out around Indianapolis? Oh, uh, favorite places to eat. I love uh, Convivio. I love Napolis. I really like Tony's Steakhouse downtown. Mm. I mean, that that's pretty top notch. Um, oof, where else do I like? I like Chiba. I like Kona Jacks. It really just depends what the mood is, honestly. Uh, things I like, I love to go to Flick's Brew House. Uh, I love going to movies. Mm. I go to the Regal too. Sometimes you'll find me at the Indiana Gun Club. Uh, you know, so I kind of spread like I try and spread myself out as much as as I can in terms of you know we have our favorite places for each type of food uh you know and sure. all the hobbies that i try and do just to have like a little bit of of my time i'm always up for, you know finding new places patachu i know people are going to mm. say that's basic but frankly the food is good and you know i don't know where else you're going to go for a better brunch spot i would so, agree um yeah i mean i and probably nothing in there that has really shocked or wowed anybody but it really <laughs> depends on like we need it that has to be like a uh if you want to go for pizza, where are you going? But then I'm like, well, we're talking about carry-out pizza or dine-in pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, or like, you know, where's your favorite steak? Where's your favorite ice cream place? Mine's great as, uh, you know, as an example. So it's a tough one to, uh, it's a tough one to answer because there's so many categories. I would agree. Um, two of my favorites, um, both on mass ave and i think they have some other locations but these are just the the closest one to uh where my wife and i live just on the north side of downtown the eagle um and bakersfield oh yeah um both really good ones both um love going there a lot and i've also i know um i don't know how close it is to you but i have an or or how often you get to downtown but um i i will say you know it's not it's not your maybe your nicest dining experience but i really appreciate 
um what the garage has done um up oh, there yeah. just kind of on the the north side of of mass Avenue, there near toward the end just having a, a a food hall where you can go in and you know grab a grab a beer or grab a cocktail or y- your favorite beverage and and kind of have a run of the place of all these different kind of cuisines that um are all packed into this uh one location it's been fun going there every so often and just kind of you know working your way through finding some some favorites and um but also trying to you know try different things as much as as i can as you go there it's been a um a fun place to to go to and i think a really cool addition to indie something that indie hasn't ever really had and and i think you know a, a nice large um gathering place that's both inside and outside um i think has been a really cool addition to the, the series um beyond that you know i I'm, tr- I'm trying to think honestly I, my wife and i haven't been able to probably do nearly as much uh exploring in terms of of eating out as i think we would have liked to we moved here just right before uh the start of the pandemic and then um when you add as as busy as my work schedule is and you add a, a baby into the mix over the last four months and getting ready for him before that hasn't um allowed for uh, a multitude of, of date nights but i i was uh jotting down the some of the places that you mentioned when you were listing yours and uh we'll uh. add them to the list on some places to to try when we can find some breaks in the schedule maybe um after we get past the the 500 um do you like uh, do you like seafood i do like seafood yes I, I quite like salt on mass that's quite good as well that's okay in, that's on your area okay yes i have i that is a place that is on my radar i hadn't looked into it enough to know like kind of what was on the menu and and you know what some of their special special things were but that is definitely places that i'd heard a a couple recommendations from so uh getting another one i'll i'll make sure that we add that to the list here sooner rather than later yeah awesome well, uh, that should wrap it up um, for us. And I'll, I guess uh, before we wrap it up, I'll uh, just quick, quick minute or two um, for folks that are tuning in this weekend to uh, the Honda um, Indie Grand Prix at, of Alabama. I think that's something close to the name um, of the race at Barber Motorsports Park on Sunday afternoon. What are what are one or two things that folks need to know about that track? Um, from a, a driver um, and just from a, a general fans standpoint as you approach this weekend? Oh, Barber's amazing. Uh, you know, it's an incredible road circuit. It's a beautiful setting. And, you know, as you drive up to it, it basically just feels like you're driving into a forest and you get into the middle. Uh, and then there's this incredible racetrack. There's some really good elevation change. Uh, one of the things that's cool about Barber, I think the strategy is going to be probably the most open that we've seen strategies be so far this year. I feel like St. Pete and Long Beach was kind of narrow uh, on pit windows. Uh, I think Barber is going to be a bit more open than that. And also after that, I think it's a track that a lot of people really enjoy. Uh, you know, it's a real fun driving experience there. Uh, the museum is awesome. Uh, it's, I haven't been since they put up or expanded it. But uh, I've been a couple of times and uh, dude, just everything about Barber is a fun weekend. Uh, hopefully the weather stays good because I've been there when it's wet and it's, uh, you know, forests are great. But when it's raining, they kind of turn into being a bit <laughs> muddy. But uh, yeah, Barber's a really, a really fun place to be. And uh, honestly, just excited that we're going to get back into 
you know, some road circuits here as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's one that everybody, everyone is excited about going back to Barber. I agree. Yeah, hopefully we're not dealing with the uh, the washout type of weekend. I don't remember if it was 2018 or 2019 that we had where they actually had to race on Monday to finish up the, the weekend because the weekend had gotten so much rain. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think, think I checked. 18. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, but it looks like uh, pretty pretty good forecast. I think dry skies, and obviously that's pretty important for a track that I know really depends a lot on um, folks that love to camp there. But uh, I know f- from going my first time last year it was really a cool track to just drive drive in, and you're just like you're surrounded on both sides by folks that have you know camp spots um, all around the track and are either you know camped out at just just for the day kind of have their spot where they they want to sit and watch the on-track action from or folks that are actually there for the whole weekend um and i I think that type of atmosphere is always really cool whether it's there or mid-ohio or road america um or some other places on the calendar so excited to get back there excited to you know i actually have also not uh been in the museum um so hope to maybe try to, to sneak in there i would suggest if you're going especially if it's your first time to try and do that if you have not already um it's a pretty world renowned place for that track um and, and it's part of what makes it really special so um there you have it um a quick rundown on schedule this week we've got practice at 4 p.m on friday um practice number two at 10 a.m before qualifying at one and then um, we have the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama at 1 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Hope you guys get a chance to tune in if you are not on the grounds just outside Birmingham. Uh, and if you are there uh, and see Jack or I walking around, um, be sure to, to give a wave. Always love to interact with folks who get a chance to listen to the podcast. Um, thanks for those of you that submitted questions this week. We hope to get more of those and, and love to interact with you guys more. If there's anything that you guys would love to see more of on the podcast, whether it's a segment um, or, or any other ideas, please send them our way. And we look to having look forward to having more of these episodes for you guys here in the near future. Uh, So for Jack Harvey, uh, I'm Nathan Brown. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly.